Last week we began to take a a close look at the third person of the Godhead, the the Holy Spirit. And I have to admit, it's a little intimidating to sit here and try to teach about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Because in one sense, there are many of us who either don't have much experience with the concept of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, But beyond that, I said it last week, as much as we try, we could spend 14 weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, and we would not even exhaust um, who the Holy Spirit is. And, and we began the premise with this premise last week in the sermon that some things are best seen. Many things, in fact, are best when we can see them and put our hands on them. And therefore, it's very hard for us to trust things, in this case, a person who is unseen. I mean, if you read Scripture... And if we read it like, we, like I did for much of my life, we read it and it seems like the Spirit just arrives, He swoops in from nowhere in the book of Acts and He radically changes the early church and He changes history as we know it. But guys, the truth of it is that the activity of the Spirit, His fingerprints are all over Scripture. And not just all over Scripture, He's all over history. In fact, we're first introduced to the Spirit of God at the beginning of all things. If you know how Scripture starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The second verse of God's Word. The very first things He says almost. It says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and, do you see it? The Spirit of God. God, this isn't some other spirit. It's not a different spirit. It's the very same spirit that we see all over Scripture, and especially that shows up in the New Testament. So the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I mean, you can't get more ground level involved than the second verse of God's Word, that the Spirit shows up and the Spirit stays active from that point on. It doesn't just show up in the book of Acts and A surprise appearance. He's been around for all of eternity. But some would be tempted to say, well, well, maybe, Ryan, the Spirit was there in the beginning. He helped God kind of get the whole thing off the ground, and he just kind of backed up. He backed out of the picture. Or maybe he was there when there was a new beginning, the, the dawn of a new age in the book of Acts. And I would say to that, not so fast. Guys, the Spirit inspires. We said this last time about this this book that we have, the Bible, is not just words on a page. It is inspi- the inspired Word of God given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is involved in all of Scripture. He, he is there, and I'm just going to kind of take you through a walk here, alright? We're not going to walk through every part of the Bible where the Spirit shows up, but we're going to walk through the different eras and the different times in the Bible where the Spirit shows up. He shows up in the book of Exodus when Israel prepares for the tabernacle. It says this in Exodus chapter 31 in verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Oop, back one, there we go. Look, I have, and I love these words here, because I think this is true about God when He has a task that He gives to us. He specifically chooses us for something. And He says here, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri. And then He says this, I have filled him with what? The Spirit of God. I have given him all And great wisdom, and that's a very important phrase we're going to come back to here in just a minute. Giving him wisdom, ability, expertise in all kinds 
of crafts. He's there when Israel is in its infancy and they need administrative help. We go to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. And this is just very important too. I don't want to talk about that concept of the tabernacle for just a moment. What was the significance of the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It's where God, what? Dwelt. Where he was. Where he was among his people. And he says, I will come down and I will talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the spirit upon them also. He's there when Israel's judges face impossible tasks and difficult enemies. Judges chapter 6, it talks about a man named Gideon. If you don't know about Gideon, Gideon was a nobody. It's a little shepherd. In fact, when they find Gideon, Gideon is like hiding from the Midianites. He doesn't want to be seen. And he says, I don't know why, God, you are choosing me. I'm, I'm I'm, I'm a weakling. I'm not just a weakling. I'm a weakling from the weakest tribe in all of Israel. And then it says in Judges 6.34, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. And Gideon marches out with 300 guys. Three, not 3,000, not 300,000. 300 guys to take on hundreds of thousands of Midianites and defeat them. The Spirit's there in the coronation of arguably Israel's greatest king. In 1 Samuel 16.13, it says this about David as David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil and the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit came powerfully upon David from that day on. It's no mistake. Do you notice what it says a lot about when you hear the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit came with what? The Holy Spirit gave what? Power. He's empowered. And the Holy Spirit is the motive behind the message in the words of Israel's great prophets. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me. Again, there's that idea that God has specially chosen Isaiah to bring good news to the poor. Guys, to put it plainly, the Spirit is there during every major event and every era of time in Scripture and history. He doesn't just magically show up and presto changeo does some sort of magic act. He has been patiently and he has been persistently working throughout all of history and time to accomplish God's plans and purposes. Perhaps the most intriguing involvement of the Spirit is in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I love there's this three chapter stretch when Luke starts, Luke 1, 2, and 3. That the Spirit makes His appearance in Scripture and makes it very loudly. As Jesus launches out into ministry and in Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit is there. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says this. Get to it real quick here. Luke 1, 35. The angel is talking to Mary and says, Hey, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. And Mary says, I don't know how that's even possible. How in the world am I going to have a child? And what does he say in verse 35? The angel replied, The what? The Holy Spirit is going to do this. He will come upon you. He will overshadow you. And you will be with Son. And then in Luke 2.52, here's what it says. 
as Jesus begins to grow. It says in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom. There's that word again that we talked about a little bit ago. Grew in wisdom and he grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and all the people. And you would be looking at that and you would say, I don't really see the Holy Spirit in there. Here's my question to you. How in the world do you think that Jesus grows in wisdom? How in the world does Jesus grow in favor with God and with all people? It doesn't happen in my mind without the Holy Spirit. Without there being something special and some sort of special anointing on Him. And then we cap it all off in possibly the most famous introduction of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 22 says that Jesus comes down to the Jordan to be baptized. And the crowds were being baptized. And as He was praying, the heavens opened. And in verse 22 it says, the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting to me. I've read this verse number and number of times. And what we always usually read, we read that Jesus is baptized and then like a dove comes down and like rests on him. And we're all like, ooh, that's a pretty picture. And then we're like, no, 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 it wasn't really a dove. It was just something like a dove rested on Jesus to anoint him and to set him out in his ministry. But do you read what it says here in verse 22? The Holy Spirit, what? In bodily form. Can I just go back to what I said last week? The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not some sort of like mystical thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And there couldn't be a clear idea of that than right here. In bodily form, he rests on Jesus and a voice said, you are my dearly loved son. It's, it's Jesus launching out into ministry. Here's the only way that I can see this as I look at all of Scripture, as I look at all of Jesus' ministry, as he gets ready to ramp up to it. The Holy Spirit motivated Jesus' ministry. And not only that, not only does it just have something to do with Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit motivates all of Scripture. And guys, the same thing is true of of the believer. The Holy Spirit is the engine. The Holy Spirit is the motivator of everything that we do or we experience in the Christian life. Eddie came up to me last week after the sermon as we talked and entered the Holy Spirit, and he said, you know what? The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. I was like, that's a great way to look at it. We'll go with that. So we're going to keep that idea that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, the engine that gets everything going. And if we've not thought much about the Holy Spirit or we've grown up neglecting or not even knowing about the Holy Spirit, we're honestly a little intimidated about learning who He is and what He can do in our lives. But here's the real truth. We already know the Holy Spirit. Any experience, guys, that we have had with God on this earth is through the Holy Spirit. So some of you may say, I don't, I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing. I don't really, it's, kind of, it's kind of odd. It's kind of weird. I mean, he can make you do some really weird things that I'm not sure if I'm really into. If you can truly say in your life, I feel like I have experienced God in this moment. It's only because of the Spirit that you've had that experience why I've spent the time I have talking about the Holy Spirit being there in so many moments throughout Scripture. Because I want you to know this morning, and this is kind of the, the, the thing I want to use to frame all of what we talk about this morning, is that the Holy Spirit is with us. And again, I talked a little bit ago about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And, and I kind of think of the tabernacle this way. I mean, God was certainly with his people. But really in the tabernacle, if you know about the tabernacle and you know about the temple, what was there about the temple and the tabernacle? There was sort of a division, wasn't there? 
Like only the priest can come into the tabernacle, the holy place, and who can only go into the holy of holies is the high priest. There's a division there, but still, in a very real way, the, the Israelites believed, and, and I believe as well as I read the Old Testament, that God was among his people. And then we shift and we come into the New Testament and, and Jesus arrives on the scene. And what does it say that Jesus is God, what? With us. And then Jesus says, it's better for me to leave and I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit will be in us. That's pretty personal, guys. It's pretty intimate. That the Holy Spirit is with us and it... He is in us. He is God's very real presence in a very real way in real time. And we may not recognize that, but our history with God is saturated with experiences of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I guarantee everybody in here has experienced the Spirit in their lives. They may not recognize it. The key really is, guys, giving the Spirit credit for that. That's the key of all of it. And pastor and author... J.D. Greer gives us these great words, and I, I laughed my head off when I read this, just because if you've never heard of J.D. Greer, you need to go listen to J.D. Greer, because he just has a style to him, and I could just hear him saying these words. He says, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, most people fall into one of two extremes. Some seem obsessed with him, relating to him in strange and mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit always seem to coincide with an emotionally ecstatic moment created by the swell of music in a worship service. I don't know how many times that you have felt this way or have you heard someone say, you know what, oh, like that, that, that moment right there when the, when the electric guitar just wham, got to that point right there. <sighs> Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, baby. He was in the room. Or if it's not in a swell of music in a worship service, it's some weird convergence of events since someone's saying, I was praying about whether I should ask Rachel out, and suddenly I saw a billboard whose background was the same color as her eyes, and I got goosebumps, and I knew it was the Spirit. Like, how many times have you heard that one before, too? I mean, it's just the most odd, random, like, oh, there's dots all over the place, and that connected, and it's the Spirit. It has to be the Spirit. I mean, could it possibly just be that it's a blue billboard? I mean, could it just be that, all right? And we've got that on one side, and he says, on the other side, there are people who neglect his ministry altogether. I mean, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they relate to him the same way that I relate to my pituitary gland. I mean, I'm really grateful it's in there, and I know it's essential for something, but I would never want to lose it. But I really don't interact with it at all. I mean, whether it's the pituitary gland or like it's the spleen or it's like the appendix, which to me are the two most pointless things that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, we know that they're there. Well, they must do something because why would they be in our body? Why would God put it in our body? Which is one of those things that I think when I get to, when I get to the end of all things someday, I'm going to ask God. That's going to be my first two questions. Why the spleen? Why the appendix? He goes, for these Christians, the Holy Spirit is not a moving, dynamic person. He's more of a theory. He's more of a thing that we know is there, but we really don't have anything to do with. And I want to ask this question of you this morning as we get started. If you were to ask most people, if you were to ask most Christians whether they would rather have Jesus beside them or the Spirit inside them, which do you think that they would choose every yeah almost everybody would say i want i mean we talked about last week how cool it would be to have jesus right here and just have a conversation with him 
by and large, I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but a vast majority of people say, I want Jesus beside me. I mean, that's, that's cool thing about spirit inside me. That's really personal. That's even closer. But Jesus beside me is the thing. I mean, think of it another way. How, how great would it be if I came up here this morning and I said to you, hey, guys, we are, we are doing some great things at New Heights. We're ready to launch out. We're going to add another ministry position here at New Heights. And we're looking to hire this person. And, and, and in my inbox, I receive a resume from nobody else but himself but, but Jesus. I mean, it's a little far-fetched, right? I mean, Jesus is not going to apply. But imagine if he would did. Just take out all of your, like, well, Ryan, that couldn't happen. That's silly. That's stupid. That's a dumb story. Just take all that out. If Jesus applied for a minister position at New Heights, what would all of us do? <laughs> what do we need you for, Ryan? See ya. That's all we need. He can take care of all the ministry positions. We would be ecstatic. We would be overjoyed. Imagine this. What, if we got an email that said, Spirit of God, wouldn't we be quite as, yay? Now we'd be kind of like, what about that Jesus guy, though? I mean, like, that's who we really want. We wouldn't be so excited. And doesn't that really show how far apart we are from grasping what Jesus offered to the first disciples in the Holy Spirit? Aren't we coming up just a little bit short in knowing what's available to us every single moment of every single day when it comes to the Holy Spirit in us, moving in us? And then we come in Scripture to the church at Corinth. Paul writes two letters to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and guess what? 2 Corinthians. And in the first letter he writes to them, there is no other way that I can put this, but that the church at Corinth was a hot mess. I mean, they were all kinds of messed up. And really everything centered around the Holy Spirit. And we had all kinds of people, they, they were doing dumb stuff like, well, you know, like, I, I follow this leader, no, I follow this leader. Like, no, this leader is the best, it's the greatest, the wonderful. But really everything came to this. I have this gift of the Spirit. And it's so much better than your gift of the Spirit. And they just sat and they bickered about that on and on and on. They were so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit that they missed the more basic and essential gift of the Spirit. They were t- see, they were, they were so impressed with themselves and all the things that they could do. It's why Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 13, and what does he say? If I had all of these things that you guys talk about, but I didn't have love, what would I be? Nothing. If I could talk all the languages of the world, and I, on and on he goes, it would be nothing if I did not have love. It would be nothing, Paul says here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. It would be nothing if you do not recognize the Spirit in you. The presence of God with you in your life. They were missing the gift of the Spirit. They were missing that God is always with us. We have the Spirit in us and with us to reveal God to us. And the God who was unknown and inconceivable was revealed, not just in Jesus Christ, but in the Holy Spirit, and has been made possible for us to know God by the indwelling of the Spirit. And we're going to start this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read a few verses before we get into the main text, because we have to do that, or we're not going to understand what Paul is talking about. Paul writes in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except this one thing, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. 
I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. And rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of what? The Holy Spirit. There it is again, power, spirit. Motivating Paul's ministry, the presence of the Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And then he switches here and says in verse 6, Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, I speak with the wisdom we speak of, and it is the mystery of God. And Paul talks about this mystery all over his letters. Mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. And then skip to verse 10, and this is kind of the chunk, the meat of where I want to talk about this morning and launch out from this morning. But it was to us, the mature, the follower of Christ, that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Catch all this terminology about God giving us something. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths about God's Spirit. It all sounds so foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for it is only those who are spiritual who can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. And it says in verse 16, But we understand these things. We understand the wisdom of God. We understand God's mysterious plan, for we have the mind of Christ. I read all of that, and you're getting caught up. You're like, spiritual, not spiritual. Can I just boil it down to this and what Paul says? What the Holy Spirit does for us. We talked last week a whole lot about what and who the Holy Spirit is. Is And this week, I want to talk about where the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, how he has a presence in our lives, how he speaks wisdom to us in our lives. And this is what I want to say. This is the point that I want to get across this morning is that the Spirit allows us to grasp God's frequency. It's what he's talking about specifically in verses 14 through 16. And he comes to 16 and says that we have the mind of Christ. We're able to tune in to what God is saying and have understand the wisdom of God because of the Spirit. I have up here uh, something that's going to look fairly familiar to some of you. Do you know what this is? Anybody? Dog whistle. I don't I don't get dog whistles because they're they're sort of silly. Because when you blow on a dog whistle, there you go. Watch out, watch out. The actual dogs didn't do anything, but art does. <laughs> a dog whistle doesn't sound like it does anything. Kim is so embarrassed right now. She's like, oh my gosh. I'm going I'm to stop bringing him to church. A dog whistle doesn't seem like it does much of anything. And there's a reason for that. And we know that is to be the truth because 
we cannot hear a dog whistle. It's in a frequency that we just don't get in our ears. Do you know who invented the dog whistle? You know what the guy's name was? Francis Galton. You don't even have to remember that. It's not going to be on a test later. But you know who Francis Galton was? I find this very interesting. Francis Galton was the cousin of Charles Darwin, the man who had this whole idea about evolution. And Char- uh, Francis Galton's whole plan with his dog whistle, and we invented it, was he, tried, he was trying to test the limits of not only human hearing, but he was trying to test the limits of creatures' hearing. So he tested them all kinds of animals to find out. And, and we as humans have a very low threshold, and kilohertz is what it's called, is what this dog whistle is measured in. We have a very low threshold. I think it's about 20 kilohertz is all we can hear up to. A dog whistle is designed for above that. Dogs and cats can hear anywhere up to 50 to 60 kilohertz, something. That's why they would respond to things like a dog whistle when we say, it sounds like you're just blowing air through a piece of metal, Ryan. I think a lot of the same thing happens sometimes in our lives when we follow after God. Is that we go and we're like, I just feel like so lost in life. I feel like I'm not really hearing from you, God. It's because of this, God is on a completely different frequency than we are. And here's the thing that we know true about God. There is no way that we as humans can relate and understand a God who is so far above us. And so that's why he takes and sends Jesus to us to be with us. To show who the Father is. Here's who I am. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then Jesus ups the ante and says, guess what? I mean, you think this is really good stuff? I'm about to send you someone else who is going to be even a greater help to you. And that's the Spirit. And the Spirit allows us to grasp God's frequency when there's no way that we could get to God on our own. There's no way that our human mind can wrap around God's thoughts and His plans. The Spirit allows us to do that. what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 2, that there is a wisdom that this world just doesn't get. It looks at us and we're like, why in the world do you think that way? Why in the world do you live that way? Why in the world? That's, that's, that's foolish wisdom. And Paul talks about that and he says, we do have a certain kind of wisdom and it's given to us by the Spirit. And maturing Christians grow in their spiritual discernment, or they, they have the ability to tune in to what the Spirit is saying, to what God is saying to them. And they develop the ability to understand more and more the will and the mind of God. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? That's an interesting phrase. means we look at life from Jesus' point of view, having his desires, having his values, thinking God's thoughts, not the world's thoughts, and we have the gift because we have the presence of God's Spirit. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in life have ever met an adult who just doesn't seem like they're ever going to grow up? Yeah, all right, sweet. Um, it's, don't point at me, because Crystal would say that about me, and they're like, well, duh, that's you. you know, okay, I'm not talking about, like, childlike. I'm talking about childish. And I think we know those people in life. And I have a video this morning that I want to show you about what it looks like when we never really grow up in life. So, Dan, if you'll show that video. Well, summer's almost over. I guess it's been pretty good. Just been hanging out with my friends. Oh, we won our Little League Championship. I was MVP. 
Don't mean to brag, but 57 home runs, only one strikeout. Every summer goes by faster. It's kind of depressing, but I guess I'm ready to go back. A lot of people have been giving me a hard time lately, saying I'm too big for t-ball, too big for kindergarten, pushing me to graduate. I almost did it once a few years back. I heard that first graders got to write in cursive. It sounded pretty cool. But in the end, I just couldn't do it. I have my iPhone anyway. Johnny, what does CH say? Death dog. My kids are a little embarrassed that they're further along than I am. Hey, girls. But I figure when it's time to go to first grade, I'll know it. It'll be obvious. The heavens will part. A voice will thunder. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Eh, not thundery enough. One, two, three, go, go, go! If I graduate kindergarten, then I won't be eligible for t-ball. And I'm the man out here, a slugger, a star, and the only player on the team that hasn't had an accident in his baseball pants. Out there, who knows? I'm just not feeling it, you know? I don't feel called. I don't feel called to make myself uncomfortable. I don't feel called to no more summer breaks. I don't feel called to dad's pitch. Why have somebody throw a rock-hard baseball at me when I can hit it off of a tee? You know what I'm saying? Why do something that's hard when you can do something that's easy? I mean, we're undefeated. Why mess that up? It just doesn't make sense. But I guess some people don't get it. I guess some people just aren't smart enough to figure out how to stay comfortable, how to make life easy. Save! He was out! What do you mean he was safe? He was out. It's kind of sad. I feel sorry for them. catch what the name of the team was? Coco Puffs. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Guys, we laugh about that and we're like, I so know adults who just cannot seem to, to grow up. But I think for so many people in the church and so many people in life, they, they do this very same thing with their faith. If I could just, if I just play it safe, you know, just stay right here and like I can hear that God's calling me to do this and to go there and do some pretty scary things, but you're like, I'm just, I'm cool to be right here. And I look really impressive because I can like, uh, I can know all this stuff more than all the people around me who are just like little baby Christians. I look really impressive. But that's not what God has for us. He wants us to mature. He wants us to have the wisdom of God. And again, we do that only through God's spirit. Scripture indicates that God has always desired a close and a very personal presence with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He dwelled among his people in the pillar of cloud and fire in the Old Testament. And he descended upon the temple with his presence. In fact, the Israelites gave him a name. It was Jehovah Shema, which simply meant the God who is there. And now through the Holy Spirit, he is closer than ever. As I said it before, he is God in us. Not just simply among us or with us, he is God in us. It cannot get more personal than that. Personal interactive relationship has always been God's plan for his people. Living in the presence of God is absolutely essential to a thriving Christian life. You cannot be living a Christian life. You cannot be living a victorious Christian life 
without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can know a lot of theology, we can manufacture the right feelings, but it's found in the abiding of a, a person. That person is the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit of God magnifies the love of God to us, and the Spirit of God makes the love of God personal to us. There was a man by the name of Thomas Goodwin that had a very great image and a great picture of what the Spirit does in our lives. And he says, think of it this way. And he used the image of a father swooping up a son in his arms and telling him, I love you. And does a father saying that to the son make him any more his son? No. He's already his son legally. But there's something about a father swooping a son or a daughter up in his arms and looking at them in the face and saying, I love you, that makes it very personal. It makes it very practical and very tangible. And guys, when, God, when, when the Holy Spirit fills us with the truth of the gospel and, and with the truth that the Father truly does love us, through the Son, and what the Son went through, it becomes very personal to us. And we are driven deeper into gospel truth. And I want to spend some time this morning, the rest of the time that we have this morning, talking about, again, last week we talked about the what? Who? Who is the Holy Spirit? And I want to talk about where does the Holy Spirit show up in our lives? Where does He make God's presence known in our lives? How is He there for us? And the first place that I want to show you that he shows up, or the first place I want to talk about is that the Holy Spirit shows up in the gospel. Paul has an equation that he uses in Ephesians chapter 3, and this equation goes like this. More of the Holy Spirit means that we are going deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians three fourteen through 18 says this. When I think of all of this, I think of all that God has done for us, I think about the message of the gospel, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And when he does that, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and his roots and your roots will grow down into God's love and he will keep you strong. And you, may you have the power Again, there's that idea, that, uh, the understanding of power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love is. When we have more of the Spirit, it presses us deeper into gospel understanding and how much God really does love us. Who is it that gives us the power, the strength, the understanding, the wisdom to grasp the basics of the gospel, the greatness of the gospel? It's none other than the Holy Spirit. There's this very interesting part uh, in Exodus. Exodus 34, Moses looks at God and he says, God, show me your face. I want to see you. And God tells Moses, you can't see me or you will die. You can't take it all in. And it says as God passes in front of Moses that day, he does show him a bit of himself. It says that he declared his name to Moses. He described his character. He proclaimed his presence and his gracious act in all of Israel's history, in all of Moses' life. And there was a preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said that this text in Exodus 34 best pictures how God's presence comes to us in our lives today. 
God's Spirit declares God's name in our hearts. God's Spirit shows us the character and who God is. And I think it's very interesting. What does it say after God passes by Moses, declares his name, Moses sees the back of God, just the very trail end of God. And what does it say about Moses when he came down from the mountain? It says that his face did what? It glowed for days in the presence of God. Here's the question I ask, is do we glow because we have been with God and we have experienced His presence through the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, do we really in our lives glow and beam because we have been with God? Guys, if you need refreshing, if you need a little bit of glow in your life, you need to go back to the Gospel, you need to get deep into the Gospel, and you need to take more of God's Spirit and just soak in that and make it glow in your life. I said last week, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, when we spent a little bit of time and said that God also shows up not only in the gospel, but he shows up in the word, in all of God's word. Talked about it a little bit this morning, he inspires all of God's word. And so I want to move on to that one and move to the third one, is that the Holy Spirit also shows up not just in the gospel and in his word, but the Holy Spirit shows up in the church. I mean, now, you might not know it, but it does show up in the church. I heard someone say it this week, that the, the Holy Spirit is meant to be very supernatural. But if you would look at most churches today, the church is very natural. It's very predictable. It's very knowable. I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen here. The Holy Spirit shows up in the church. If the Spirit is speaking and leading through the Word, the most common way that the Spirit shows up is, is, is a very close second here in the church. In Acts 13, 2, it says this about the Holy Spirit showing up. It says, one day as the men of the church, as the whole church was gathered, they were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and the Holy Spirit says, in a very real way, appoint Barnabas and appoint Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Guys, the Spirit shows up in the church so many times. The Spirit's still showing up in the church today and saying, this is the direction that you need to go in. This is who you need to be reaching out to. This is who you need to be loving on. This is who you need to be sharing the gospel with. And we have this moment in 13 too, and it's like, cool, like the Holy Spirit showed up and said, pick these two guys, send them out on a missionary journey. And we look at it and we're like, that's kind of small fries. But guys, this is a major moment in the church. The Spirit speaks up and he gives specific direction as to what the church and the people of God are to do. And Paul and Barnabas are commissioned and sent through the church's leading. And by the presence and the word of the Holy Spirit. And if we were to take a look at Paul's ministry and all that he did, I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. He went to so many places in the world to speak the word of God. We would see that the Spirit was empowering his ministry through the church. Guys, not much has changed today. We still get the words of the Spirit. We still get the presence of God through the lives of others in the church. It, sometimes we think that, well, then God will only speak to me in like this audible voice. And then we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we don't really hear God speak. And yet there are people all around us in the church who are trying to tell us things. And lead us into things. And encourage us to go for things that God is calling us to. We're like, shh, shh, quiet. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm like listening for God here. I don't need to hear you. 
And when we do that, we're completely missing the voice of God speaking through the church and his people to tell us and to lead us in things. Holy Spirit also shows up in our giftings. Guys, our gifting is our primary vehicle for the Spirit's work and God's presence in our life. And he leverages the gifts that he has given to us to move and to lead us exactly where he wants us to be and how he wants us to be used by God. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And there's a very important word here that I've highlighted. And I want you, or a phrase that I've highlighted, I want you to see. A spiritual gift is given to who? To just you? To just me? To just the few people in the front row here? It's given to each of us as believers and so that we can help each other. And as the Spirit is our helper and our counselor, we also have the power or opportunity to come alongside other people in their lives in their time of need. God has wired each of us in exactly the way that He has desired for us to be. And so that He can use us and He can use us when we least expect. There are things that I can do that other people can't do. And likewise, there are things that you guys are going to be able to do that I can't do. And we're all wired that way so that God can put us in a moment in time and moments in time that we can speak into people's lives in a very powerful way when we least expect. I I got this picture from Brenda this week and I I wanted to put it up here because I thought it was so funny. If you can't read it, it says, uh, God, this is God saying, I have a plan for your life. And here's what it feels like oftentimes in life. And, and particularly, can you just look at the little boy that looks like he is about ready to just jump out of himself? And oftentimes, you know, it's, that's what it feels like when we feel the leading of God. When we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we just go, yeah! And we just hold on for dear life. Because we never know where in the world we're going to be used and what we're going to be used for. And sometimes in life, we can go through an entire, our entire life and not know what our gifting is. Until that moment where God says, here it is. I'm going to use you right here and right now. He has uniquely equipped each of us to carry out the tasks that he has for the world. And here's the thing. I've been saying all this sermon that God wants to be present with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to be in us. And here is the really amazing thing about it. God wants his presence to be in the world through us through our giftings, through how he has wired us to be. The Holy Spirit also shows up in our spirit. There's this really interesting phrase in Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't know about Nehemiah, Nehemiah was an Israelite. He was in captivity. He was exiled in Babylon. And he heard the news that his people in Jerusalem were in bad ways. In fact, the, the walls of Jerusalem had come down. Now, if you know anything about ancient times, that was not a good thing. You don't want walls to be down at your city. You want them to be up. And he is just pained by this. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, these words. He gets to Jerusalem and he says, I slipped out during the night, only taking a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans, and catch this, about the plans that God had put in my heart. Guys, I really and truly believe that every person that's sitting here today has something in their heart. It may be way deep down in their heart, something they feel like that God is calling me to do this. God is calling me to care about this. God is calling me to go and do this. And we just sit on it, thinking, I don't know, was that really God telling me that? Was that God's spirit moving in me? He shows up in our spirit every time something stirs in you, every time 
a flame is fanned in you for something, it is God's Spirit blowing on that. And stoking that fire in you in your spirit, He shows up there. And the last place, not certainly not the last, there are many other places the Spirit shows up, but for our purpose this morning, the Holy Spirit shows up also in our circumstances. Guys, God opens doors and God closes doors too. Every opportunity in our lives is a chance for us to walk into God's plan and His purpose. And every opportunity in our life that is suddenly taken off the table is a chance for us to be patient and to see exactly where God may be leading us in our lives. Paul has a moment later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I love again the phrase he talks about here. He says, starting in verse 8 of chapter 16, says I, he, he was wanting to come and visit the people in Ephesus, and he says, I want to come and I want to be with you, and in the meantime, I'm going to be staying here. Actually, he's telling the Corinthians uh, he was in Ephesus. He says, in the meantime, I'll be staying here in Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. And then check this out in verse 9. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. I, I think about that phrase, and I think, what sensitivity did a guy like Paul have that he really wanted to go and visit these people? But he said, guess what? God is keeping me planted right here to do a great work for him. There is a wide open door and opportunity. Can I just say this to you today? Everybody here. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to predict what it is. But I have a feeling that you probably know what it may be in your life. But God has a wide open door. A wide open opportunity in your life that he's going to use you. But you're too busy doing all these other things and thinking about all these other things, about all the things that you really want to do, all the ambitions that you might have in your life. But you're not listening to God's spirit in your life. Uses this phrase, although many oppose me. It's a very important phrase. Just because Paul experienced opposition didn't mean that God was done with him and that he had closed the door for him to go to Corinth. Quite the opposite was true. He had a greater plan. He had a greater work for Paul that he would have completely missed out on if he had gone his own way. He had a wide open door for Paul to minister in Ephesus. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. How would your relationship with God change if you saw his presence with you as a real person? What if you understood that the feeling of conviction that you have in your life is his actual voice? What if you saw sin not so much as breaking God's laws, but grieving someone? How would your life change? How would your faith change if you saw that when you walked through the valley, that the Spirit is the one who brings you back out of that valley? Guys, that is the power and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. That is power of God's presence in our lives. And it has the potential to radically transform your life and the lives of those around you. And this actually happened last night. I was thinking about it last night as I went to bed and as I came here this morning, and I thought, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought it had a really interesting connection. So last night, uh, our kids were being our kids. Uh, I don't need to say any more about that. Uh, went over to Cincinnati for the day, and it was just a nightmare all the way around. Um, and, and we got home, and, and Crystal had this moment. I'm like, dang, she should be up here preaching today. I shouldn't. And they were reading the Bible, <laughs> which was very interesting in a day when they were like devils, is, is what they were. And I was like, and, and she said, she took the Bible, and she said, <clears throat> 
She said, Brenna, if you were wanting to take guitar lessons, would you take guitar lessons from me or would you take guitar lessons from Daddy? And she said, I'd take guitar lessons from Daddy. She goes, why would you take guitar lessons from Daddy? Because Daddy knows how to play the guitar. You don't. And I was like, well, that was, that was a really good truth. And she said, here's the deal. You can't read this Bible, hear everything in it, and just talk about it and go sing songs about it, but not do it. I think the same thing is so true about our lives as Christians, that we have the Spirit in us, guiding us on our lives, showing us where we need to go and what we need to do. And it doesn't make a bit of difference in life if we say, yeah, I believe in the Spirit. I mean, that's great. He's that guy over there. Like, we don't really talk about him a whole lot. Until we actually do what he's calling us to do. It doesn't make a bit of difference in the world. It doesn't make a bit of difference to the people around us until we actually do what God is calling us to do. So my encouragement this morning as the band comes back up here for our final song is that we would do what we talked about last week. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now is that we would live with power in our lives. We would live with the Spirit in our lives. He would motivate everything that we do and that we would not just be people who talk about the Spirit and talk about God's Word. We would be people who do God's Word in a very powerful way. Would you stand with me this morning as we sing?